Blog Talk Radio. This is the body of Christ Church. And welcome to Repentance is the Key. Is the key. Verse 13, 
and the evening and the morning were the third day. So we see a pattern of the evening being the beginning of the part of the day and the morning being the latter part, and that was what? How that day was completed. So does the day actually started like 12 midnight or tomorrow? Well, no. But I thought she was going to get down to the point where, no, go ahead. Oh, where we uh, started actually creating everything? Yeah, yeah I'm getting to that. I'm getting, matter of fact, um, no, you go ahead. Huh? All right, verse 13. <laughs> and the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there, let there be light in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for light in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which we know is the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, which we know is the moon. He made stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God said it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So, the bar, go ahead and... Well, look, yeah, the reason, the reason, you know, that, that part is so important, and the good thing that you went through those, through those days is to show you that, number one, the two things. One is that when, when, when we were talking about the light and the darkness, how they were divided from one another, automatically, because we're human beings, we're going to think that that light is coming from the sun. That's not what we're talking about here. The light and the darkness that the most I was referring to didn't come from the sun because the sun wasn't created for days to much more time after that, the fourth day. So when we start talking on the fourth day, when the light, when the most I created these, these lights in the firmament, uh, and he told you the purpose and a reason, <clears throat> for times and for seasons and, and for all of these things that the most I was going to institute, because of what we're reading right now as far as the new moon is concerned. The Lord gave us those instruments, sun, moon, and stars, as a, as a measure and a way to tell time, which comes down to right now we're looking at the new moon. The entire, the only way we're able to distinguish one piece or another from another, or when one comes and one ends, is because of those instruments, those, those lights that the Lord created. And, and in this case, particularly, we're talking about the moon, in which that's the calendar that the Most High set up the nation of Israel on. The nations, they follow the, the sun. They also worship the sun. Their Gregorian calendar is based on its cycles. So you got to understand the way the Most High set it up and the cycle that the Most High has his people. And what the rest of the world follows is two different things, but completely two different reasons. One is the, the servants of the Lord who follow words of the Most High keep his commandments. They set up on a cycle based on the sun, excuse me, based on the moon, to tell when hidden seasons, times, uh, the Sabbath come in and out. The world works with the sun and all other uh, idols. They follow the Gregorian calendars, you know, which tells them whatever. So just to show us here that the entire purpose, the most high, yes, they look nice. The sun gives, the sun gives a lot of light. But the, the purpose for why the most high created is so that we can follow him so that we can understand what time frame, so that we are synchronized to the Lord's time frame to show us when we're supposed to be doing the commandments of the Lord, when they come, when they leave, and that we in lockstep in order with the Most High as he progresses through time 
and his plan. Well, we got it. May I read, may I read the scripture, please? Mm-hmm. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 43, starting at verse 6. And it says, He made the moon also to serve in her season for a declaration of times and the sign of the world. So it's basically telling us that the Heavenly Father set the moon in its order, in the position that it is set for a declaration, as the scripture says, for a declaration of times and a sign of the world. When our people were more spiritual, when our people once upon a time were more in line with the Lord, they could look at the moon and say, okay, this is, we're in this month, we're this, we're this close to the next month, or we're in this part of the year. They could all see that the moon and the way that the stars were fixed in the heavens, where we were more spiritual, where we were more in line with the Lord. We had those abilities. We could see that. We could judge those things. Verse uh, 7. From the moon is the sign of feasts. So the moon, how it's positioned in the sky, is a sign of feasts. The major feast that we have is, of course, the new moon feast. But it's not just limited to the new moon feast. Because when you also read, uh, thank you, Exodus 12, chapter, starting at verse 1, it says, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. And as the chapter progresses, it's setting you up for what we, what we now celebrate as the Passover. So, of course, we have that moon, which is the sign of feasts, and then 14 days later after that new moon is, of course, our Passover. So that just further proves that the moon is, and, and how it, the Lord set it up is a declaration of those feasts. It shows us, well, of course, as I said before, we're a little more spiritual. It shows us, okay, we're on our way toward this feast, or we're on our way toward that feast, or we're getting close to this feast. Another example of that is when you read Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, starting at verse 23, it goes into the memorial blowing of trumpets. So that's also a sign for, of the moon, and then subsequently, uh, 15 days after that is of course, the Day of Atonement, and then a week after that, right? I apologize. Ten days after that is the Day of Atonement, and then after the Day of Atonement is the Feast of Tabernacles. All of that, of course, the moon, that new moon, letting us know. Appreciate that. So the point is, going back, from the moon is the sign of feasts, a light that decreaseth in her perfection. A light that decreaseth in her perfection, basically, tells us that we have those stages of the moon where you have the waxing stage and the waning stage. The waxing stage is when the moon, when we look at it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, of course, till you get to the full 360-degree circle that you see in the uh, sky. The waning stage is when the moon gets smaller, 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 and smaller until there is no moon. That is your waning stage. And as the moon gets smaller, that should be an indication to us that, okay, this month that the Lord established is bit by bit coming to an end. It's time to, for us to prepare ourselves for the next new moon. Going on. From the moon is the sign of feasts, a light that decreaseth in her perfection. The month is called after her name, increasing wonderfully in her changing, being an instrument of the armies above shining in the firmament of heaven. So it's from the moon 
the word moon that the word month is derived. One, two, increasing wonderfully in her changing, being an instrument of the armies above, shining in the firmament of heaven. Guess what? The angels judge times and seasons and things of that nature by the moon as well as we do or we did. And that was Ecclesiastes 43, verses 6 to 8. Actually, I, I, I had a question because we, when we look at scriptures like Isaiah 63, did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, Isaiah 63, from one new moon to another, when we look at how, like uh, an instance where, like when David was on the run from Saul and he was talking to Jonathan and he was like, well, I'm not going to, basically, we see throughout the scriptures where Israel has observed the new moon as a high holy day. But, we don't necessarily see it in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, outside of, say, the memorial of blowing of the trumpets. My question is, I guess, when did it come about? The new moon was always a Sabbath of the Lord. When you look at the scriptures, one of the things that you have to understand about the Bible, that's the reason why we tell people when they study the scriptures, what's one of the problems we have? One of the problems we have is that people don't understand that Christ comes in the volume of the book. It is written of him, which means you have to deal with the whole entire Bible. Right. For example, where in the book of Leviticus 23 does it say the new moons, all the new moons were Sabbaths? It doesn't. But is there a scripture that tells you the new moon is a Sabbath? Yeah, I just read it. No. There's, There's a scripture that tells you that the ordinances of the new moon. Mm-hmm. What are the ordinances? Wait, first of all, let's stop. Leviticus. Okay. No, no. What are the ordinances of a regular Sabbath? What are the ordinances of the seventh day Sabbath? Okay. The ordinances of the seventh day Sabbath basically no buying and selling, no cooking, no working. So is there a scripture in the Bible that lets us know that that same ordinance pertains to the new moon? Yes, it does. All right. So what scripture is that? And read That is. I think it's either Isaiah, Jeremiah. No. Oh, I'm going. Amos, Amos 9? You going to Amos? Well, hold oh, on. You get your scripture. If you say you have the scripture, you get your okay. scripture and it's not get yours that you have. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. I mean, I got the Amos right here. <laughs> well, you go ahead and read Amos. All right, read Amos. So Amos chapter 8. Start at verse 5. It's saying, when will the... Oh, that's what I was looking for. Oh, read it above. Amos what? Okay. Amos 8 and 4. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy. So that's why I wanted you to start there, because we're telling you who is saying it. Wicked, evil people. Wicked, evil people who are swallowing up the needy are saying what? Read. Pay attention. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. Now verse 5. Saying, when will the new moon be gone? that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. So you had wicked, evil Israelites sitting back saying, when will the new moon be gone so that we can do what? Buy and sell. Buy and sell. And not just buy and sell, but buy and sell with false balances and make money. So it's letting you know what type of people we're dealing with. 
Did it say Wingwell's Memorial of Blowing the Trumpet be gone? They were saying Wingwell's the new moon be gone because they were talking about the Sabbath that it was going to bring in. So that's one example of it. That what you got any other scripture? You got a scripture you were looking for? Oh no, that's what well what that's the scripture I thought was in Isaiah. Oh no, that's that's Amos. But it's not a bad well, just to clear it up for you, it's not a bad question. Mm-hmm. And it's a question that has come up in the church before. There are some Israelite groups that struggle with the new moon because there are people that say, I'm not keeping a holy day if it's not outlined in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. Mm-hmm. Although the new moon is in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, they only see it as a memorial blowing the trumpets. So there are some groups that keep the memorial blowing the trumpets but won't keep the others, mm-hmm. which we know are also holy days. What's another scripture that tells us that the new moon was a holy day? That they um, gathered on. Because this moon. Give me a second. I gave you a hint when I said gathered on. Yeah, I'm thinking Ezra and Nehemiah. No, not Ezra and Nehemiah. But, um, but that's what I was saying, because we got the, the evidence is there throughout the Bible that Israel has always gathered on the new moon. Uh, I got numbers 10 and 10. Uh, you'll be using it, but, I mean, read what you got. Now, number 10 and 10 says, also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn day. So that right there triggers, okay, something serious, usually Sabbath, when the Lord says solemn day. And in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpet <coughs> over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. So what's the, what's the key word that you pointed out when you read that? Solemn days in the beginnings of your months. So what does a solemn or solemnity mean? Basically it's a, a, a day of reverence to the Most High. Or it's a day holy. Mm-hmm. A solemn day is a holy day. So the holy days are there. That's why even when you read the Apocrypha, there are certain days they say, let not this day pass without solemnity. Meaning that it's considered a holy day, and the ordinances of the holy day apply. Mm-hmm. When you read about Judith, when did she come over her fast? Oh, I don't remember. Get the scripture. In the meantime, can I bring out Isaiah 66? Yes, you can, Anthony. You can bring that out Isaiah 66. In verse uh, 23. Uh, Isaiah 66 and 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. So, in the birth above, the Heavenly Father said that he was going to make new heavens and new earth, uh, which we know hasn't happened yet because Christ hasn't come back yet. So, in that time, in that kingdom, all flesh is going to be keeping the new moons and the Sabbaths. So, it's saying it in synonymous with the other holy days. So, it's a holy day. Here we go. This is uh, the book of Judas, chapter 8 and verse 6. And this is uh, going into Judas and some of the things that she did. It says, and she fasted all the days of her widowhood, save the eaves of the Sabbaths and the Sabbaths and the eaves of new moons and the new moons and the feasts and solemn days of the house of Israel. So that's the reason why, to answer your question, a lot of people don't read their whole Bible. 
they just stop and start in different places. And there are some people that come out and say, well, the only holy days are in Leviticus, the 23rd mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. And when they get caught in that hang-up, they start throwing out others. They throw out for them. Because yep. they think it's apocryphal. We're not just talking about apocryphal. They throw right. out for them. They throw out all the ones in the apocryphal, and they throw out several new moons. And just to bring out the point, when you read in the book of First Samuel, so, well, you it's But 
zero understanding of a fast, especially in those common Mongolian people, was to abstain from food and drink. First Samuel chapter 20, starting at verse 1, it says, And David fled from Naoth, Naoth and Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid, excuse me, and he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me, and why should my father hide this thing from me? So what's going on, just to bring up the speed, Saul was trying to kill David, and a peace day was coming up, which would have put David right in Saul's presence again. Okay. In the book of so he would have been in Saul's presence, that because he was part of the king's court. No, he was part of the king's household. Because remember, from the time that from the time that David left and was taken and was taken away from Jesse his father, he was brought to the house of Saul. And after he slew Goliath, he became like John. He became Jonathan's brother in law too. Yeah, because remember he, 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 he married. Um, Sacrifice of the family, that's one thing. But if he's upset that David is not there, 
Now we understand this guy has something in his heart planned for David. Verse 8. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself. For why shouldst thou bring me to thy father? So, of course, you know David and Jonathan, the love between them, they were brothers. Although the world would say that they were sodomites and homosexuals and all types of things to justify their lust. The scriptures tell you about the love between David and Jonathan. That was his best friend. Continue. Verse 9. And Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for I know certainly that evil were determined by my father. For if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would I not tell thee? Then would not I tell thee? So he's letting them know. Like as close of friends as we are, if anything ever came out of my father's mouth about him trying to harm you, I would have told you. Verse 10. Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? And Jonathan said unto David, Come, and let us go out into the field. And when they went out both of them, excuse me, and they went out both of them into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and showeth thee, the Lord do so much, excuse me, then the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do evil, to do the evil, then will I show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. So he's basically telling them, We're gonna you're gonna stay out here in the field, you're not gonna come to the peace, and if once I know my father's mind and what he's determined to do, if it's good, I'm gonna let you know that it's for good, and if it's evil, then I'm gonna warn you so that you can flee and get away. Verse 14, and thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So what Jonathan understood, what Jonathan understood that Saul could not understand is that David was being risen up by the Most High to take his rightful place as the ruler of Israel and the king of Israel. That's why he told David that if this is happening, and if you are risen up, may the Most High deal with you as he once dealt with my father before he fell. Because there was a time when the Most High blessed Saul. But once he turned to wickedness and wrath and rebellion and strife, the Mosai took that wicked spirit and put it on Saul in exchange for that righteous spirit which he gave to David. All right. Verse 16. 16. Verse 16. Okay. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, I'm sorry, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan 
caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So those were the type of friends where you basically say these two are bound together. The scriptures, scriptures tell you that their spirits were knit together. Mm-hmm. Even later, when Jonathan dies, David says, what about Jonathan? Kind of mighty opponent. Now, what did he say about his love for Jonathan? Oh, it's it's the love of a woman. He said his love for Jonathan was he said, very pleasant, but your love to me surpassing the love of a woman. The reason why he said that is because when you look at the scriptures, what is the highest form of friendship in the scriptures? Your love. Yes, sir. When you read the scriptures, the scriptures tell you that the highest form of friendship that a man can have is between him and his wife. The scriptures say your friend and companion never be the midst, but above them both is a man with his wife or rather to the wife with a husband. Yep. So when you look at that, that just shows you that it's not talking about sex mm-hmm. or sexuality. What it's saying is that there's a bond and an intimacy when a man has a wife, there's a bond and an intimacy between the two of them and a friendship that normal friends don't have. There are things that a person might share with his best friend, but it's not going to be in with as intimate as the things that a wife knows about a husband and a husband knows about a wife. But when you look at David and Jonathan, what David was saying is that the love that was between the two of them surpassed the relationship that you would expect a man to have with his wife as far as how they dealt with each other and the care that they had for each other. That scripture breaks it down, though, for his own soul. It says, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Yeah, and so, like his own life, like he considered his life the same as his own. Verse 18. 18. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly, and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself, where the business was in hand, and shalt remain by the stone easily. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot a mark. And behold, I will send a lad, saying, Go, find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them, then come thou, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt, as the Lord liveth. But if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee, go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. And as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of, behold, the Lord be between thee and me, Forever. So now he set everything up. And why did he keep stressed for three days? Because that's how long the feast was. Raise your voice, Cliff. Because that's how long the feast was. How long was the feast of the new moon? Three days. How many How many days was Adam? One. What's that about you? One. The first day was the Sabbath. Because the scriptures tell you that was the Sabbath. So when you see the new moon come around, it's not like the new moon is the Sabbath for three days. But what's another reason why they celebrated it for three days? That the days, we, when you look at the new moon, I mean, of course, I work totally different from that. When you look at the face of the new moon, technically, when it, when it passes, you know, uh, when that sun and the uh, moon line up, for it to move out of that phase and for you to see that, that uh, the waxing moon or that crescent, it's going to take three days for, from the time we move into that phase of the, what they call the new moon period 
there's time moves out of that phase to when you see it again. So the point being is that a new moon is when you see no moon in the sky at all. That's the Sabbath when it starts. But the next day, it's not going to be a half a moon in the sky. It's still going to take a period of time, close to three days before you even see it again. So when you look at how they feasted, they feasted for three days. But that first day was the day that was considered the Sabbath. So when you look at what's going on during the time of Saul and when they were in their kingdom, it wasn't like how we did where we just say, okay, we're having a feast tonight, and tomorrow I'm going right back to work and this, that, and the other. Though it was a three-day period of time, we don't read about it. Dealt with David, dealt, dealt in with was with wisdom, through wisdom. 
soul, like, listen, when you say this or when this happens, judge his character. If he does this, this is what it means. If he doesn't do this, then this is what that means. And I'm saying that because later on we know David has the son of Solomon, who was blessed with all of his wisdom, and it takes me back to that same example when the two women came and disputed over the child, mm-hmm. how, you know, Solomon discerned them and was able to say, listen, that's the baby in half. And if the woman protests, that, and whoever protests, that is actually the child, I mean, the, the mother of that child and not the other woman. It just goes to show you that, that Solomon, uh, David, had that measure of wisdom with him. Perhaps not as much as uh, Solomon did because that was a blessing, but he had that discernment and that wisdom to, to judge, the, to basically discern spirits, you know what I mean? So, right back to verse 28. Yeah. Okay. And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, <laughs> and he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my mother, excuse me, and my brother, I apologize, he have commanded me to be there, and now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. Verse 30 is the answer. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. So he looked at him and said, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't take it there. Don't take it there. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thy own confusion, and unto the, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. So why did he say it about Jonathan's kingdom never being established? Basically because David was going to be raised king, and that line as far as the sons becoming the king, proceeding after his father become king, is not going to happen. So what was, there was something more that was going on as far as the house of Saul. I know it's going into something that I don't deal with a lot, but the Old Testament is important. Tribalism. Exactly. Because Saul, thank you, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And David was of the tribe of Judah. And so the whole point about the tribalism that our people was into at that time, what Saul was saying is it's not just a matter of my son not becoming the king, but the Benjamites are going to lose the Their king. Inheritance. And it's going to be transferred over to Judah. So the whole thing was you chose the son of Jesse to your own confusion. But he explains it right there in verse 30. Read um, verse 30 again. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now sin, and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. So he was saying it's not just about you and David. 
But if you allow David to live, then what's going to happen? As great as he was, as mighty as he was, he already surpassed Saul as a war general. He already became the greatest warrior in the whole land. Now, a more powerful warrior than even Jonathan. So what he was saying was, as long as David lives, the, Ju- the Judites, the Jews, their brethren, are going to rally behind him, and less people are going to rally behind you, and your kingdom is never going to be established. So he was saying, wipe him out and solidify our reign. But that goes to show you also, and that and that's, that's that that true test because you know a lot of times you can make sacrifices, but when it comes to sacrificing your own self, when it comes to sacrificing something you want or something you have for somebody else, then that's going to determine what, determine what kind of character you truly are of. And it shows you that Jonathan knew the consequences. As a matter of fact, you go back in that promise. I don't know if it was in that one, another one that Jonathan made. He said, when your house is established or when your kingdom is established, that he's going to be there at his side. That's up above. Yeah. He, he, he already knew the consequences, so his father wasn't giving him a revelation. But his, he didn't understand that the spirit that was on him and the spirit that was on Jonathan were two different spirits. And Jonathan was dealing with the spirit of the Lord because he already understood the Lord had already determined it. And, they, and his father was working against the purposes of the Most High, not for And if you look at any wicked, carnal man today saying, I have a choice, I can be king yeah. and have infinite riches, women, horses, chariots, and the palace, or my friend could be king. And he said that. That's what you see what friendship is made of in this world. People are like, man, please. They'll run a chariot over you. Sure. That be king. <laughs> But we're not, not, not this person. He meant what he said. You know, they, they truly had a true friendship and a true love for each other. So let's read what happened. Verse 32. 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to slay him. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So you look at that, and we don't have to go into the whole thing, because the whole point that we want to hear for was to show about the new moon, how it was celebrated. I know y'all forgot. This. Yeah. I know y'all forgot because we came here for the new moon. <laughs> we came here for the new moon and how it was celebrated at that time and how it lasted those period of days. That's why he said, come to me on the third day, because he's going to look and see my seat empty in mm-hmm. three days. And you saw the scripture clip where it says that was the second day of the month when you said something. So you covered everything right there showing that it was not only a feast day, but it was a solemn assembly. Mm-hmm. And how do we know that? Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. Because you asked the question at the beginning of the class mm-hmm. or earlier, how do you know that the new moon is considered in, that, in the reckoning of those numbers? Mm-hmm. Going back to the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. See, the thing is, the new moon, the reason why we said to do the new moon class is because it's something that gets overlooked. You just assume that people know. Mm-hmm. It's been the truth for X amount of years. You know the scriptures, you know the new moon. A lot of people don't know the new moon. And what was going on, even back in the 12 tribe days, you had people coming to the feast days, they didn't even know what feast day it was. You wanted to catch people out there, all you had to do was sit there on night on feast day and say, what feast do we celebrate tonight? People look around and be like, um, I, they assign them. You look at them like, 
Actually, it's a new move. Oh, okay, a new move. I see food. I see food. I see tricks. The feet in front, chicken. I know it's a piece. And that's what it was. And the thing that was even more frustrating about the new moon is the fact that people could not explain the new moon, even though we kept it every single month. So, you were at a church where we came in. Here it is a feast day. Everybody's feasting and joking. He's having time of burn gladness, like the scripture said. And you ask the brother, okay, what's today's feast? It's the new moon. Give me one scripture about the new moon. And people would be shuffling and shuffling. Even if they went to Genesis chapter 1, they wouldn't be wrong. And they'd be shuffling, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So one time I asked a question to a brother. I said, how often... Do we celebrate the new moon? Like every month. And when we come together to celebrate the new moon, do we go to scripture today for the new moon? Yes. So what does this stand to reason that it would be the same scriptures that pertain to every single month? Even if you took notes one time and pulled out those same notes, every time we came together for a new moon, you wouldn't be wrong. You'd be absolutely right. But even that, they wouldn't do. So when you look at our children learning the holy days of the Lord and understand that these are days of mirth and gladness, they're supposed to know what these days are about. But not only are they supposed to know what the days are about, they're supposed to look forward to the days and reference the days. Like if you look at the Passover, the children are just running around, they're having a good time, they eat it, and they're getting sweets and treats and presents and everything like that. And here's my man David acting the fool. And what did I tell you? Was they wanted to grab him up. I said, listen, if he's being disrespectful and if he's doing things that he's not supposed to do and he's talking back or if he's disobeying somebody, by all means, take him and chastise him because he's not supposed to be doing that. But if he's just having the time of his life really and just doing his thing, don't stop him. It's a feast. Yeah. And you look at the world, nobody's stopping kids from having fun on Christmas and Halloween and all these other things that they're doing. Why? Because parents are saying, let them enjoy the day. It's a, it's a holiday. It's a day they're supposed to be happy. And they're supposed to look forward to it. It's for them. Our children are supposed to look forward to Passover, the new moons, and all of those holidays the same way. But they're not going to, but they're not going to if we don't let them enjoy it and know what it's about. These are solemn days and holy days, but it wasn't solemn in the sense that we had to become like the monks and wrap up, wrap up and put a sad look on your face. No. Because these were days of mirth and gladness. And if you can't be happy and for the joy of the Lord, then you can't Express it in the other times. So let's finish um, where we are, Leviticus chapter 23. Start at verse 1. Alright. Leviticus 23 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. So now he's going to talk about the feasts. Read. 
Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their season. So stop. Now, y'all, going over the class about the new moon itself, the actual feast day, which is the new moon. But right here in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, it tells you in verse 1 to 3, what type of Sabbath is that? The seventh-day Sabbath. Seventh Sabbath. What does that mean? It comes every seventh day. We're in the seventh-day Sabbath right now. Mm-hmm. The fourth verse says that there are other feasts that are kept according to what? Their seasons. Which means? According to the cycles of the moon. So that's what you really read it right there. Mm-hmm. The most I'm saying you have feast days, you have a Sabbath, which is every single seventh-day seventh, seventh Sabbath, every single week. But you have other feast days which are not kept according to a weekly schedule. They're kept according to their seasons. And you already read the scripture in Genesis chapter 1, and you already read the scriptures in the Ecclesiasticus explaining that the moon is going to be for signs and for seasons, yeah. and the month is called after her name. So it's letting you know right there that the new moon determines every other feast day that's not besides the seventh-day Sabbath, mm-hmm. which means the seventh-day Sabbath, we know we keep it every single week. Every other feast day that we have on our calendar is kept according to the new moon. Yep. So now, go to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. There's another point you want to make. Can I correct you? Why are you on that point? There's something that you and I talked about, oh, man, a while back. That a lot of times we take it for granted that the seventh day Sabbath is a feast. Yes, day. the seventh day Sabbath is a feast. And we're supposed to keep the feast. With joy. With joy. <laughs> you got to put it in with joy. Yeah. Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to go right to the scriptures pertaining to the Sabbath day. First thing, first. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. So stop right there. Now, I'm going to read something back in Leviticus again. You don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. Or this spot next to this one. But I'm reading Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, again. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. What is a convocation? What is a convocation is what? Raise your voice. A convocation is a gathering. So what is a holy convocation? True gathering. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gathering pertaining to what? The most high. Right. It's a gathering because we can have a convocation. We right. want to have a convocation. Like sometimes people have parties. Some people have marriages, funerals. Those are all times we come together and convocate. But but you look at holy convocations. It's basically a holiday, a holy day of the Lord. So, 
pertaining to the new moon. It's a new moon, a holy convocation. Yeah, yeah. We have a scripture now that shows that people convocated on the new moon. Yeah, we just read it in First Samuel. So now that's why I said, don't leave, don't leave those scriptures out because it shows. How does it show? Because here it is. He came together and said, "Wait a minute, it's a new moon. Why is he not here? Why is he not here to celebrate the new moon? Why? Because of the convocation. He's supposed to be." You're supposed to be there. And Can I read this? It's not, it's not by choice. Yeah. And yeah. he was concerned that he was going to not be there. And I want to go back to Exodus 20, then to your point, Boston. Exodus 20, we read in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, when you read verse 8 down, verse 3 or verse 10. Verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter. Thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. So do we have a scripture that shows that we're not supposed to be buying and selling and working on the new moons? Yeah. Or yeah. On, the on the new yeah. moon. Yeah. What was this? You just now threatened. Amos 8 5. So the point is, is that if you try to look at it as, oh, I'm, I don't see it in Leviticus 23rd chapter, that ain't it. You're not going to understand it. But when you look at the Bible, the way the scriptures tell you to read the Bible, which is Serial Volume, Volume of the Book, Volume of the Book, Precept upon Precept, Line upon Line, when you read the scriptures the way the Bible tells you, you're supposed to read it in Isaiah, the 28 chapter, Precept upon Precept, Precept upon Precept, precept upon precept Line upon Line, Line upon Line, here a little, there a little. Then you get the whole picture and understand it. Wait a minute. It might not outline the whole thing perfectly in Leviticus 23 to your liking, but it's there in the scriptures. So anybody that's studying to show thyself approved unto the most high workman that needed not to be ashamed rightly divided the word of truth. It's not going to turn around and say, well, it ain't Leviticus 23 chapter, I'm not keeping it. And they're not going to turn around and say, well, I don't see no scripture that says it's happened. Because guess what? It's there in the scriptures, in the Bible. But because you're not reading precept upon precept, line upon line, rightly dividing the word of truth is a mystery. When it doesn't have to be a mystery. Now your question. Well, just on that point, and when you look at those other scriptures as far as how it was kept and the instances and the circumstances surrounding it, then you see how everything lines up and it's not just a one-time thing or a one-time instance or, well, just under these special circumstances, you know, they did it just one time. We see it's a consistent thing. Um, but I actually wanted to read one of the definitions from the word convocation. And not because the first two, they actually used the word to define the word. It's an act of convoking. It's like, okay, that's. Well, well, now on our part, though, mm -hmm. the act of convoking, when you convoke something, you call it, it's like calling it, uh, summoning it. To convoke means basically to summon it. Right. And it, the, the, the whole difference between summoning is you have situations where people have authority to call the summons to happen and situations where people do not have authority to call the summons to happen. That's why in the Lord's case, he can call the summons to happen. He has the authority to call the summons to happen. Like we break even now. Right. You get a summons from a judge. A jury duty. Right. They, they can both you. They have a summons for you to come, and they have the authority to exercise judgments against you if you don't appear. Sure. Sure. But it goes beyond just being a summons, though. 
because it's, it's actually a gathering, uh, a calling together. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's not just some and one person. You know, see, that, that's what I'm saying. On, on an individual basis, it is, except it's going out to multiple people. I was just dealing with that one year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, 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 know, you have a, a, an authority that can summon you to be somewhere at a particular time for a particular reason. And that, that's why, you know, that part is important. I didn't want to just gloss over that. Well, that actually goes into number three, which is where I was really going to read. It says, a group of people gathered in answer to a summons or assembly. And what I have called it to do so. So that's what some of them have been called to. Yep. And on the point, read that definition again, the third one. Yeah, it says a group of people gathered in answer to a summons or an assembly. So now let's see what the answer is to that summons or assembly. I'm going to read the book of Ecclesiasticus. Ecclesiasticus chapter 33. And start at verse 7, Zach. All right. What does one day tell another? When as all the light of every day in the year is of the sun. So basically, he's asking the question. The sun shines every single day, doesn't it? Yeah. So if the sun is shining every single day, why is one day more special than another? What's the difference? What's the difference? Read. Okay. Uh, Ecclesiasticus 33, starting at verse 7. Why doth one day excel another? When as all the light of every day in the year is of the sun. So he's asking the question. The sun shines every single day. There's never been a day where the sun just decided it did not want to come out. But what's going on, he says, even he's like, why is one day different than the other? Every day the light is shining. What makes one day so special? Verse 18 is, verse 8 is the answer. By the knowledge of the Lord, they were distinct. That's the answer. By the knowledge of God, they were distinguished. Did we just get up one day and say, oh, I want this day to be a holy day, and I want that to be a holy day, and this freedom is special? They do that in this world. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do that in this world. In this world, they turn around and say, holiday. Secretary's Day. Holiday, this day, that day. Today, we're going to do this. This is going to be that day. Because that's how, that's how holy days are determined in this world. In this world, holy days are determined according to what somebody wants it to be. Somebody will turn around and say, it's all the king day. Somebody will turn around and say, it's Arbor day. Somebody will turn around and say, it's Halloween. Somebody will turn around and say, it's Thanksgiving today. St. Patrick's. Somebody will say, it's St. Patrick's day. It's President's day. It's Christmas. So they'll come around and they'll just give a case to everything and say that these are days. But are those days that we just mentioned, are those days distinguished and selected by the knowledge of God? No. no. So when you look at what the scriptures say, read verse 8 again. By the knowledge of the Lord, they were distinguished, and he altered seasons and feasts. So we already read in the book of Leviticus about how some were being according to days, and others were going to be according to seasons. So when you look at the ones that were according to seasons, it says the Lord is the one that altered the times and the seasons. The Most High is the one that told the Israelites that in the month of Abib, the first month of the year, when you see the new moon come up, that's the month of Abib, the first month of the year. He's the one that told them, start counting this many days afterwards, and that's the Passover. A man didn't just decide arbitrarily, okay, this day is going to be a Passover. That didn't happen. But that's what happened with the holidays of this world. 
Might just get together and decide. Might says, today's Kwanzaa. And just decided that. Just decided it out of the clear blue sky. But here it is. By the knowledge of the Lord, they were distinguished. And he altered seasons and feasts. Verse 9 is the point. Some of them has he made high days and hallowed them. So some days that the Lord made were high days, and he hallowed them, meaning that he blessed them. What are some of those days? All the days you read in Leviticus 23rd chapter, the Sabbath, the new moon, the days of atonement, the feast of unleavened bread, which is the Passover, the, the feast of first fruit, the memorial blowing the trumpets, uh, tabernacles. Even when you go further, when you look at Perim, mm -hmm. you look at other days like uh, dedication of the altar. Mm -hmm. Those were days that were not to be passed without solemnity because those were days the Lord did great work. Mm -hmm. And even those days were established by the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of people don't understand that either. Why? Because they say, well, a man instituted Perim and a man instituted dedication of the altar. Why? Because they don't understand that those days were not ordinary days. So, read verse 9 again. Some of them has he made high days and hallowed them, and some of them has he made ordinary days. So, some of them are high days and meant to be hallowed. Some of them are Sabbaths and meant to be hallowed, meaning they have ordinances and decrees that go along with them of what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it. And when you look at the feast days as they were kept in the old, even before we knew how to keep them in Christ, they had many ordinances. You had the Israelites with sacrificing the lamb, putting the blood over the doorposts, and, and burning the carcass and not letting it remain. They had to eat it in haste. They had to put the staff in their hand. All these things. Why? Because it was a thousand ordinances for these days. So now imagine if you were living during the biblical times, and just one particular day you walk into the street, and you see somebody any given day arbitrarily just Sacrifice the lamb, put the blood in the throat. But you've looking at them like, are you crazy? Yeah. What are you doing? Well, I'm keeping the Passover. But it's not time for the Passover. I just want to keep it today. How, how dead would he want to be? You know, he's dead. He'd be very dead. Yeah. He'd be very dead. Why? Because we don't get to decide. We don't get to decide yeah. what it's going to look like. The Lord told us where they're going to be and what it was about. It wasn't for us to decide. And to prove that point, let's go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. You went there earlier, but we're going to go back there now. Oh, did you finish it now? In the Cleveland, did you finish it now? Yeah, I just want to go three verses. Okay. Do three verses for the point. Nehemiah, chapter 8. Nehemiah, chapter 8. And when everybody has it, we will start in chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So um, here it is. We know, for the sake of our bringing everybody to speech, this is Ezra and Nehemiah were dealing with the Israelites after they came back from the Babylonian captivity. Some of them came back, not all of them. But after they came back, 
what he's doing is he's reestablishing the laws, the statutes, and commandments for the people to keep. Because they were in Babylon for 70 years. So in 70 years, all of these ordinances that were being kept in the land, they weren't being kept. Even the temple itself wasn't ready to have sacrifices. So right now, everything is being reestablished when you read the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1. And Ezra the priest is speaking to the people. Verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that can hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So what is the first day of the seventh month? Memorial blowing of trumpets. And the memorial, the memorial blowing of trumpets is also what? It's the moon. It's also, yeah, you're both right. It's a, a Sabbath, but it's also a, a new moon. So they're coming together on this new moon, the first day of the seventh month, and Ezra's reading them out of the book of the law. So what did they not know? They didn't know what the ordinances of this day were. They didn't know how to keep it or anything like that. So when you read on, let's go down to the point, verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it up, excuse me, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. So now he opens the book of the Lord, opens the Bible, starts reading. All the people stand up in attendance. Read. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their heads, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So when you look at the scriptures, that one read on people's in the prayers, they have their hands up and their faces down. People say that that's not in the scriptures, it is in the scriptures. But we'll continue on. 7, also Jeshua, and Bani, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Aku and Shabbatai, and Hodijah, and Marsiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jotabat, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. So when you look at what's going on, they're teaching the people, they're causing the people to understand the word of the Lord, causing the people to understand all the things that are being spoken. But now they're going to get a reaction from the people, which is something that they didn't expect to get. Read. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershifah, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. So how do we know it's holy? Because we already established what, what it was, we read in the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, what date it is, the memorial blowing the trumpets. We also know that the most I made ordinary days and he made high days. So when they're saying this day is holy, they're not saying it's holy because I want it to be an offensive. They're saying it's holy because the Lord made it holy. Read. All right. This day is holy. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. More not, nor we, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So why did they weep when they heard the words of the law? They realized they were keeping the people. Well, why did they weep when they heard the words of the law, rather? Right. They realized they hadn't been keeping it. Hadn't been keeping what? The they haven't been keeping the laws nor these days. So they hadn't been keeping the laws, the statutes, the commandments. They hadn't been keeping the feast days. So here it is. It's a feast day right now, and he's telling it to them. They didn't even know. It would be no different 
than us walking outside these doors right now, gathering everybody in the street and saying, guess what, today is a holiday. They be looking at you like, okay, what holiday are you talking about? At least they, at least they wept here. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. And the reason is because they wept when they realized that they didn't know the law. They didn't know what the most High was required of them. So here it is. The scriptures are coming out. And you see a totally different reaction. Like when we tell our people in the world, the commandments, the things they need to do, the things they need to, be, to do to, in order to obtain salvation, it's usually met with anger. And cursing. It's usually met with anger because the spirit of this world is you can't tell me who are you. You can't judge me the same flesh I was on this morning. You can't judge me. You can't tell me. I know what I'm doing. Nobody can tell me what to do. So you can't tell me for that. But when you look at the spirit that our people had once upon a time when they had a care for the Lord, here it was, the priest of the Most High went out and told them, these are the things that y'all need to do. These are the things that are in the book of the law. And what happened with the people? All right. Read that. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So everybody cried. They cried when they were reading out the Bible. Why? Because every single thing that they were calling about was things that they were guilty of. They were transgressing. And they knew that they were guilty. They knew that they weren't keeping their feast days. They knew that they were breaking the commandments of God. And it hurt them. They didn't make excuses for it. They didn't say, you can't judge me. They didn't say, only God can judge me. They didn't say, well, I keep it a different way. They didn't say, well, you might be your Sabbath, but it's not my Sabbath. They didn't say that. They wept when they heard the words of the Lord. Read. 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. So he's telling them that it's a feast day. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. So for the ones that took to take care of themselves, or for the ones in that captivity that lost something that didn't have anything, it was the job of those that had to take care of the ones that didn't. Read. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why we're supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be days of myrrh and gladness. It's not a burden to come together on the Sabbath day. It's not a burden to come together on the new moon. It's not you dragging yourself out of bed and trying to figure out how to get there. Why? Because we understand it's a holy day. It's a convocation. The call went out from the Most High, as y'all brought it out, and it was our job to answer it. But a lot of people think that the call came out from the church, or the call came out from Kadar, Akarai, or somebody else. It's not our convocation. We got called too. We got called right along with everybody else. I'm not on stage, I'm in the audience. But people don't understand the joy of the Lord is just strength. And if you don't believe that the joy of the Lord is our strength, all you have to do is go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter oh, yeah. 28. Oh, yeah. Because that was one of the reasons why we got the curses, because we wouldn't serve the Lord. But only got to read it. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. I think it's like 56. What? No, 47. Sorry. We're going to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. 
And we're reading at verse 47. And for those of you that are familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, we know that we have the blessing and the curses. Mm-hmm. So right now we're going to read one of the major curses that came upon our people for their disobedience to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. So let's stop right there. The Lord said, because you didn't serve me with joyfulness and gladness of heart, when I gave you the abundance of all things. What did our people wish for under anything under the sun? Anything. Nothing. We had everything. We wanted for nothing. I mean, we didn't. Thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, 
for the abundance of all things. So the most high says we had the abundance of all things. Then nations on the face of the earth that didn't have food, didn't have clean drinking water, didn't have anything. We had everything that you could possibly want, but we didn't just have it, we had it in abundance. And when we had an abundance, what type of people were we? Ungrateful, unthankful, unholy, churlish, sottish, wicked, evil, disrespectful, ungrateful children that hated the most high. I can't find that scripture. Right. Everything that he gave us, we spit it right back in his face. Mm-hmm. I can't find that scripture right now, but it said, but Jeshua waxed, waxed fat and kicked. kicked. And I can't remember where that is, but that's but, You know, going into the abundance, even when you look at the land he gave us, so first of all, that's the land. First of all, we didn't even have to build the houses or plant the vineyards or any of that. We just took it over. But when you look at the, we, I think, Just I can't find a scripture where the brothers went out to spy out the land and they brought back, back they when they brought back that evil report. No, no, not evil report. When they brought back that, that cluster of race. Right. They had to carry between two men. I mean, you talk about the abundance. It's like, you know, when one great can fill up a, a bottle of wine, it, the Lord gave us Everything. Everything. So let's see what happened. Verse 47 again. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. So now stop. We just now read pertaining to the feast days that those were days of mirth and gladness, holiness. Even when we read in Nehemiah, what did he instruct the people? Weep not, and mourn not, because this day is holy unto the Lord. Eat the fat, fat, drink the sweet, 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 portions, and it's a celebration. And he says what? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. But what do we also read? We also read in Amos, when will the new moon be gone, that we can set forth?